0: Okay, what could go wrong? I mean, Jesus and politics. What? What could? What could go wrong? Nothing like uh, politics and church mix them together. Nothing could possibly go wrong. So here's where we are. Number three in Christ and culture. Okay, number three in Christ and culture. And here has been the whole big idea. We got two more after this. The whole idea has been not to make a statement, not to make a point. The whole point has been is how do we, how do you as a follower of Jesus navigate your way in this cultural moment that we are in right now, all right? How do we navigate our way in the way of Jesus in this crazy cultural time that we are in right now? And so the first week, what we did is we set some parameters about deep deep compassion and then also strong conviction and so those were the lanes those were the kind of the guidelines that we wanted to stay within and I'm Try to stay in there last week, Try to stay in there today as well, but politics is an area that, while it has never been an area that really kind of warms your heart, it is particularly treacherous nowadays. With a 24-hour news cycle, with Twitter and all that stuff, man, there is grenades that are lobbed all the time on social media, in the news, and there's rarely a conversation, all right? Rarely is there actually a conversation. There is accusation, there is screaming, but actually how then does the Christ follower operate in the culture we're in now. That's the question. People have been wrestling with this for a long time. And so the question then is, how do we do that? Somebody said it correctly. They said, you know, when it comes to politics, it's like a skunk. If you touch it, it's all you're gonna actually smell like for a month, and that is true. It's like, how do I, how do, I do it, but how do I not do it? And the tension for the Christ follower, and I gotta tell you, this was helpful for me to just have a grid in which to do it, because this has always been a tension for me. For the last at least 15 years, as God's kind of, you know, gives you a little bit of a platform, you're like, you're asked your opinion about certain things, and you're like, all right, how much of this should I actually uh, take part in? I remember the first five years I was here, it was like every, every different little thing that came up, every controversy, every legislation, everything that came up, the, the news would call and say, what is your opinion? What? And I didn't really know what it was, but most all the time I'm like, you know, not here. Don't want to make a comment. Don't want that to be the priority of our church. But on the other hand, you, you can look in the Bible and see we've got to engage and we're called to engage in our culture. And there's where the tension is. I mean, Jesus commanded us to be salt and light in our community. Uh, You're going to see in the text today, he says, give to Caesar what is Caesar. And the prophet Jeremiah, he said, listen, go into this city, plant down your homes, pray for this city, be a blessing to your community. Other places you see the ideas of fighting for justice and fighting for compassion. Uh, The fact that Christians got involved early in the life of our country, we have a ton of blessing like freedom of speech, for example, like what I'm doing right now, freedom to come to church, all that stuff. Those are great, great blessings. On the other hand, you can also see where churches have gone way overboard, have lost their gospel witness because they are so wed to a platform or to a party or to a candidate. The mission field has a very hard time distinguishing between, okay, are you a prop of this party or are you a prop of that party? And all of a sudden the gospel message sort of gets mixed in there. And again, you throw in there about, well, if the church is too passive, I mean, the church in Nazi Germany was so passive. The German Lutheran church history shows that they were so passive in calling out Hitler's Nazi party, they would just say, well, you know, you kind of just be against discrimination, but they never would say, Nazism, that is wicked, and so it kind of left, it just went unencumbered. And so you can see there's a lot of nuance and a lot of, a lot of tension. How do we navigate these waters, all right? How do we show that our primary, and this is important, how do we show that our primary commitment as a church and as a believer is not to a platform and it's not to a party, but it's to God and it's to the gospel, okay? How do you engage in a way that shows that we believe salvation does not come riding in on the back of a donkey or on the back of an elephant, but that it was born in a manger 2,000 years ago? How do we do that? And so we're going to look at a text today that may be a little bit familiar, but actually I look back and I, don't, I have never in all of my ministry actually preached on this topic. So for me, this was fascinating to look at this text and uh, kind of work our way through it. So let me give you the context of Matthew 22. And then we're going to jump into the text. Here it is. It's the last week of Jesus' life. Uh, the previous day, he had gone into the temple and he had just taken names. He would flipped over tables. He had driven out the money changers. He had then so, given a bunch of parables about how the religious leaders were a bunch of snakes and how they were terrible. So people were like super, super, super tense. At this point, he had kind of moved from the rural area into the city. All right, up until now, he was like a lot of times in the rural Galilee area, and he was with the common people, but now he's moved into Jerusalem, and the place of political power, the place of religious power, and not only that, it's the place called the Festival of the Passover, and this is important before we jump in. The Festival of the Passover was this festival, this party, this celebration of the fact of what God did way, way earlier when he rescued the children of Israel, the Jewish people, when he rescued them out of the slavery, out of the bondage, out of the oppression of the Egyptians through a particular leader, so keep that in mind. So they're celebrating God delivering us from a leader or from a oppressive regime through a leader. And then you fast forward now to Jesus' day and they're oppressed by the Romans. The Romans were the oppressing people and they were the ones that were putting down the Israeli people. And so here we have this massive festival where the city goes from like, you know, one population to like six or seven times its population. All these pilgrims from all over the area, they pour into this city. And not only did they know it was the Passover, but understand the Romans also understood that the Jews were celebrating Passover And because they were celebrating the festival of the Passover, all these troops got brought in. It was like extra police, extra troops got brought in. Why? Because the Romans were well aware they're celebrating freedom from an oppressive regime. And guess what? We're an oppressive regime. So there's not going to be any revolts. There's not going to be any uprising. History shows that there periodically were uprisings, and they would just clamp down on that thing hard. So all that being said, here's the text. Then the Pharisees went and plotted how to entangle him in his words. The word entangle there means trap, to entice or to trick. It's a picture of an animal that walks along, walks along, walks along, and there's like a trap that's been camouflaged. So he's walking along, and before he knows it, he steps in the trap and he's caught. That's the picture. That's what they're trying to do. Verse 16 says, and they sent their disciples to him. They as the Pharisees, Pharisees were distinguishable by their clothing, so they sent their disciples. But here's the interesting part it says, along with the, this is Herodians. That's like, what what difference does that make? Here's the deal the Pharisees and the Herodians were typically, they were usually enemies. They hated each other. They stood for opposite ends of the spectrum. The Pharisees were real separate. They were all about the, the, the Israelites and they were all about the Jewish faith. The Herodians were all about a guy named Herod and all the stuff that Herod taught. And Herod taught, you know what, forget those, forget the Israelis, forget all that stuff. And so they were natural enemies, but because they have a common enemy in Jesus, they actually come together. The Pharisees were religious leaders and the Herodians were political leaders. So here's what they do, they bring them both together and here's their trap, teacher, we know that you are true and teach the way of God truth. So they figure we'll flatter them at the front end and then we'll try to spring the trap. And you do not care about anyone's opinion for you are not swayed by appearances. Tell us then, and here it is, here's the trap. Tell us then what you think. Is it lawful to pay taxes to Caesar or not? This is the trap. Here's the trap what they're doing. They're talking about a poll tax that every Israeli man had to pay, all right? Typically it was a denarii. That was a unit of, a unit of money that had an inscription of typically Caesar on it. So get this. Because the Israelis are waiting for that Messiah to come and rescue them from the oppressive regime, there was all this talk about this coming rescuer, this coming deliverer who is gonna militarily relieve them from all the oppression they were in. So you got all that tension and so they spring this trap and they say, do you pay to Caesar this poll tax? Now he had two different ways he could go. And the trap was this, number one, if he says pay the tax, The Jewish people are gonna hate him and say, he's a fraud, he's a fraud, he's a sellout. I mean, this is at the height of Jesus' popularity. This is at the height of his momentum. And what he says is, he's like, okay, do I pay it to Caesar? If he says, pay the tax, it's like he's a fraud. But if he says, don't pay the tax, the Herodians that were right there as well, they're gonna report him to Rome, knowing that, hey, Rome's gonna come and kill him. So it's, it's fairly sneaky, is what I'm saying. Verse 18, but Jesus, aware of their malice, said, Why put me to the test, you hypocrites, you actors? Show me the coin for the tax. And they brought him a denarius. And Jesus said to them, this is amazing, whose likeness and inscription is this? I mean, he just takes a visual, he takes the coin, he looks at it, he's like, okay, who's on this coin? Who's on this coin? And they said, Caesar's, and here's here's like the, uh, here's just, it's such a poor plan. Such a poor plan to try to trick Jesus, all right? And so they do that, and then he says to them, therefore, render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's and to God the things that are God's. Now let me just give you a couple of points just out of that one phrase. Give to Caesar what is Caesar's. Give to the state what is the state's. Give to the government what is the government's, but make sure that you give to God's what is God's. So let me give you a point here. Point number one is, and we'll just take a little bit of time on this, government is important, and your job as a Christ follower is to participate. It is to participate. Don't leave today thinking, okay, what he said was, step back, go into your little enclaves, go to your Bible studies, and do not participate in the government. That's not what I'm saying at all. That's not what the text is talking about. I mean, this is amazing. When he says, should we pay taxes to Caesar? And he says, actually do pay it. He's saying the government is important. Give to Caesar what is Caesar's. Now, I jotted this down, but listen to how amazing this is. Jesus endorses a secular government using a blasphemous coin that had a picture of a false god, Caesar, who claims to be the real god. And the coin with the fake god on it was gonna be then used to oppress God's people. That's a a jacked up government. It's like he's saying, do it even though the money you actually pay is gonna be used to fund the army that is keeping you down. What you and I have to understand is scripture teaches that God has ordained government as part of the common grace that he gives us. Common grace is simply the theological term for he's gonna give certain things to people regardless of where you are. In other words, whether you're a Christ follower or not, you and I operate under the government as a picture and as a point of common grace. You're like, I'm not sure I see that in the text. Let me give you some support. Romans 13, don't turn there, but just listen to it. I'll give you a couple of verses here. Romans 13:1 says, let every person be subject, be subject, be submissive to, be subject to the governing authorities for there is no authority except from God. Now you're like, what? He says there is no authority except from God. And those who exist have been instituted by God. Verse four, he says it is God's servant to punish the wrongdoer. Verse six says, it actually says that the authorities in the government are ministers of God. In verse seven, it says give them respect, respect them, give them what is owed. That is common grace, So in some ways, government are the parameters, the structures that God put in place after the fall in order for you and I to not descend into chaos. He says that, you know what, in order to try to inhibit and hem in the wickedness of man, I gotta put some structures in place so the whole thing doesn't blow up. Let me give you one more. First Peter chapter two says, be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether it be to the emperor as supreme, or to governors as sent by him to punish those who do evil and to praise those who do good. Now that's the same thing. So what that's talking about is part of their authority is like, I'm gonna put some parameters and if you do good, don't worry. If you do bad, if you do bad, you need to worry. I mean, a common thing was like, okay, if you're going 65 in a 35, you know, you see the, you see the police car out there and he's like, slam on those brakes because why, I just, I don't, it's like, that's, I could get in trouble. I could be punished if you're going 35 in a, 40, you are highly unusual. But also, you don't, have to, you don't have to worry at all. Why? When you see a police car, you, you might tap your brakes. You might go 20 just to be safe. But the idea is, guess what? All right, that person is there to kind of maintain rules of order. That's just part of the common grace he gives. So when you look at the text here, understand that both Peter and Paul, the two people who wrote the two passages that I just read, did not do so based on some awesome government. Because some of you are like, you know what? That's because they had an awesome government. That government literally killed both of them. They killed both of them. The Roman Empire both killed Peter and killed Paul, and yet Peter and Paul both said, you submit yourself to the governing authorities. So what does that look like? I would say the first thing is God's people do need to participate in government. They do need to participate And God's people have down through history. I'll just give you a flyby of the Old Testament. Joseph uh, elevated himself to a position through his involvement in government to save a bunch of nations from famine. Nehemiah was a cupbearer to the king, great political power, used to bring about restoration for God's people. Jeremiah said, pray for the cities in which you were sent into exile with. Esther was in a government, used her gift to save her people. Daniel was in a government, spoke truth to power, on and on and on and on, you've got that. A lot of our nation's hospitals were founded, what? By, by Christian people. A lot of the institutes of higher learning, many of the Ivy League schools were founded by Christian people with Christian values. That's at least how they begin. So we have been blessed by that. But you're like, well, how do I do it? How do I do it? How do I participate? How do I participate where I'm actually blessing people without forfeiting my witness as a Christian? Let me give you a few. Number one, obviously you and I can pray. The Bible specifically says we are to pray for our leaders. I would say most of us are guilty of posting more than praying. Most of us are guilty of posting about some leader or some issue way more than we actually obey God and pray. First Timothy chapter two says this. I urge that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgivings be made for all people Verse two, for kings and all those who are in high position, that we may lead a peaceful and quiet life, godly and dignified in every way. So we're gonna pray pray at the end. I'm actually gonna put some names up that we're to pray for federally, state-wise, even local-wise, so pray. Second one is I would say run for office. I mean, how awesome would it be If like a Supreme Court justice or a governor or something came from Biltmore Church, they came up through our student ministry and in 20 years we're looking back and go, man, I knew her or I knew him, it'd be awesome. But you can run for office. We've had people that are members of our church that have been running for office, all right? I got a brother in Texas who actually he was a businessman and his businesses were all doing like, you know, doing great. So about six or eight years ago, God laid on his heart, okay, going to politics. And so he went there and his businesses are still running, but he, he's a congressman in Texas, all right? He said, I got sworn in one day and I got sworn out the second day. So he says, politics is a, it's a tough business, but you can run, run for whatever. It doesn't have to be federal office or it can be the PTA, All right, it can be the PTA, it could be uh, the city council, all right, it could be the HOA, although you, you might not want to do that one, but H, you know, something to bring your influence into it. You're like, why would we do that? Because you have a distinct worldview. You have a worldview that says like for the dignity of every single person, that every person is made in the image of God and worthy of respect and care, all right? You bring that to the table. Not everybody brings that to the table, all right? Some people are like, man, when they reach like 95, let's start kinda pulling some stuff. No, you you understand, you have, okay, every person is made in the image of God. On the other hand, you also understand the wickedness of man. So you understand the need for like checks and balances, all that kinda stuff. You can pray, you can actually run for office, Here's one, be gracious with those who disagree with you, okay? Be gracious with those who disagree with you, okay? I need to say this like nine times. I don't Facebook stalk much, but, but I Facebook stalked some of y'all this week. I'm not gonna tell you who it was. Some of y'all need to hear this like seven times. Be gracious with those you disagree with. Be gracious with those. I'm not saying you have to agree with. Tolerance has actually been redefined. The very definition of tolerance means, you know what, I disagree with you, but I will still show you respect. And so in a day, in a 24-hour news cycle, and everybody's lobbing these bombs, and it's like, this person is this. and No, no. You can be gracious with somebody who you disagree, even disagree vehemently with, all right? You've got your opinions. Your opinions are fine. Everybody's got an opinion. I will tell you right now, I've got strong opinions. The question is not the question is not, are you right or wrong? The question is, what is your tone? How are you doing that? We're gonna talk about that in a minute. And then lastly, I would just say this as well. At points in time, it doesn't mean that you don't challenge the government as necessary. Let me say again, I'm not talking about get your rifle and go be a militia. I'm not talking about that. I'm saying there are times when you need to challenge the government. Because why? Because the government is not final. God is final, okay? God is your, if you're a Christ follower, God is your final authority. And there are times in the scriptures where God's people have had to actually stand up to their governing authorities when it has been a clear-cut violation of what God has specifically said, all right? Acts chapter four and Acts chapter five are a classic example. They're out preaching the gospel. People are getting saved. The governing authorities come in and said, stop preaching about Jesus. Stop preaching about Jesus. It's like, hey, we can't. We just saw a guy rise from the dead. We can't keep our mouths shut. You gotta do what you gotta do. We gotta do what we gotta do. And they kept, pre- they kept preaching and they got thrown in jail. They got let out. They kept preaching. They got thrown in jail in Acts chapter five. The whole point is this, there are times where you have to say, you know what? There are times, as a believer, you have to challenge the government. Government is not final, God is final. Be careful of saying, I disagree, therefore I won't obey. But if there's a direct violation, you have actually got a choice to make. There's a guy, there's a book I'd recommend to you called City of Man. City of Man by a guy named Michael Gerstner. Let me read a quote from him. I think he kind of summarizes it perfectly, quote, Jesus was executed in part as an enemy of the state. Contemporary leaders, political and religious, found his otherworldly kingdom threatening because it demanded obedience to an authority beyond their own. Jesus' followers were soon being executed for failing to show proper respect, in this case, making sacrifices to the Roman emperor. In the Roman world, Christians challenged the political status quo on any number of issues, including slavery, infanticide, and the status of women. Christi- and he, he, he sums it up by saying this, Christianity may not have laid out a blueprint for an ideal government, but love your neighbor did have social and political consequences. So again, before we jump to this next one that has more, I think for a lot of us, and that is this. Government is part, God has ordained government. You and I are called as salt and light to participate. It's gonna be different for you than it might be for you and it might be for me. But you and I are called to participate in some way. So here's the balance to that. The gospel is most important. Listen, government is important. The gospel is more important. Government is important, you participate in it The gospel is eternal and most important. And you as a Christian, us as a church, we have to prioritize that. The text says you give to God the things that are God's. And it is amazing how much restraint Jesus showed throughout his ministry to not get pulled into political arguments, not to get pulled into political agendas. Think about this, in John chapter six, he just fed the 5,000 people with five loaves and two fish. The text says that the people came and they wanted to make him king. Now listen, they were still thinking political king. They were still thinking Messiah deliverer. He's gonna beat up the Romans. They came to make him king, but it says he left there, went up on a mountain, and then when he came back, it said he came back preaching the gospel. Preaching the gospel. Paul did the same thing. Read Paul's letters and you see his letters to the churches. Do they deal with principles and did they plant the seeds that ended up taking away a lot of the social ills of Rome? Absolutely. You see very few times when he deals with specific policy, legislation in Rome and around Rome. Instead, he preached the gospel and he planted churches And those churches, then changed the community. And so when you talk about it, here's here's a couple of things that I would say. Try to think of what would make this uh, easy to remember. And here's two principles. First one's kind of repeating the principle, and that is don't let the good things dilute the best things. Don't let good things. There's a lot of good stuff out. There's a lot of good stuff out there. There's only one best thing. There's a lot of good stuff out there. Solar initiatives, save the planet, whatever. Those might be some good things, but there's only one best thing And as a church, what we are called to do, the one organization that God called to make disciples was the church. And what we've gotta ask is what are we going to be about? Now understand there is gonna be maybe a little bit of difference between the individual Christian and the church at large. When the church makes a quote unquote official statement about something, very, very rarely, and I'll give you a principle we'll use in a minute, but rarely you're like, all right, you as an individual, you need to influence every part of society. Education, health care, salt and light, tax policy, all that. God puts you in there not to just be a bump on the wall, not to just be a quiet person in the corner. You're there to make a difference. As a church, as an organization, the more we as Biltmore Church, and I'll just speak for our church. I think it's true for any local church. But the more we at Biltmore Church tie ourselves to a specific legislative policy, party, platform, candidate, the more diluted the gospel message becomes. Because here's what happens. If I spend all of the bandwidth of our church on this party or this platform or this candidate, what I've done basically is eliminate about half of our mission field because half of our mission field is gonna think, you know what, to become one of them, to become a Christ follower, I gotta vote this way, act this way, and do that. You're like, well, that's just cowardly. It is not cowardly, and I'll tell you about it in a second. The idea is this, we just don't wanna let the good things dilute the best thing. I'll say it again, I got opinions on all this stuff and I'll be glad to tell you face to face, all right? I'll be glad to do it, I mean, ask me about it. It was funny, the the one thing I did eventually go to about five years ago is uh, some deal on gun control, okay? I'm not even gonna tell you what I believe about gun control, but I will just tell you I'm from Texas, what do you think? All right, so I'm I'm just, what do you think, all right? My whole point, my whole point is this. If I told you, a lot of you would stand up and cheer and other ones, you're not. What I don't wanna do is I don't wanna confuse the gospel with gun control. I don't want people to think I've got to think a certain way on a legislative issue in order to understand that there's a son of man, son of God, who lived the life I was supposed to live, then died in my place, and then rose from the grave. Just like me, you've got a certain amount of bandwidth. The question you have to ask is, how am I going to use that bandwidth? How am I going to use it? Are you going to use it to say, I want all the world to know I'm a conservative, or you want your whole world to know that you're a Christ follower, okay? Are you gonna let the whole world know I'm a Democrat or are you gonna let them know that I'm a disciple of Jesus? Which one? You just gotta choose. You do not have an unlimited bandwidth. Neither do I, neither do we. So what you've gotta ask is, I don't wanna let the good things dilute the best thing, all right? The church is the only organization. He said, I want you to make disciples, all right? It's not that you can't do some other stuff. I would just say as a church, if you're not making disciples, if you're not about the Great Commission, can you really say that you're a church? And you just gotta ask that question, okay? If you're a Christ follower and we're really not following Christ, can you really say you're a Christ follower? You gotta use what you use for the best thing possible. An easy example would be this. Let's say you're a medical doctor. If you're a medical doctor, you're driving down 26 and you see this five-car accident, all right? This five-car accident, you're one of the first on the scene. There's a few people there, but you're one of the first on the scene. You got people that are hurt you're a medical doctor. It would not be the best use of your time if you spend all of your time over here putting the cones up for traffic or trying to find a puppy who ran away or any of that stuff. Your best use, because of who you are, because of what you've been commissioned to do, is use your skills, use your training to help the wounded people who are bleeding. They need you. We as a church... We have been commissioned to prioritize the gospel of Jesus and making disciples of Jesus, all right? That's what we've been called to do. It's not that we can't do some other good things, but it cannot dilute the very, very best thing. Now, again, let me reemphasize, it doesn't mean that there's not gonna be times we don't need to make a difficult choice, all right? There are gonna be times when it's like, just like John the Baptist, John the Baptist called out the government about sexual morality, and he paid for it. Dietrich Bonhoeffer, who wrote a book called The Cost of Discipleship, was a German pastor. And initially when Hitler took over, they sent him to the States to kind of protect him. And then he felt so convicted that, what am I doing over here when my countrymen are suffering over there? And Nazism is just exploding. And so he goes back over there and begins to preach against that. And he ended up paying for it as well. He paid for his life. So it's not to say that there's not difficult things to do. I think this series, if nothing else, that had been saying, okay, we're going to address the difficult topics but listen, politics is not as big as the gospel. It's not as big. We have one primary message, all right? And, it's, and again, our primary message, it's not about a policy, it's about a person, all right? It's, again, it's not about a policy that the government's gonna do. It's about a person that God has sent in the person of Jesus Christ. It's not about either or. It's just saying, this is it, this is it. If we're gonna pick, this is our priority. But let me give you one other little bit that I think you can see here about give to God, what is God's. This is different. I actually switched it up to make it a little bit easier to understand. Now, don't tweet this one out because it needs a little bit of nuance put in there, but generally speaking, here's what I want you to think about. When it comes to policy, be cautious. When it comes to principle, be courageous. Here's what I mean by that. Policy does not necessarily, see, policy is legislation. Policy is, okay, here's here's how we're trying to fix this. So, for example, let's say, it's definitely a value that you should have as a Christ follower to help the poor who cannot help themselves, agreed? I mean, I think if you just read any of the Bible, if you read any of the Gospels, if you read any of the Minor Prophets, you can see as a Christ follower and as a church, one of the things we need to be about is helping poor people who cannot help themselves, agreed? We can agree on that. We can be courageous on that. What we have to have a little caution is is thinking that my policy idea, my legislation is so much better than yours or this other person's. We can actually disagree on what is the best way to fix the issue that we can actually both agree on. Okay, so uh, you just tease that out to everything from healthcare to economic policy to immigration to racial reconciliation or whatever. So here's what I would just say this. Where the Bible does not draw a direct line to policy, sometimes it does. Where the Bible does not draw a direct line to policy, Just be cautious. I'm not saying don't have a strong opinion. I'm just saying be cautious and have at least a a scintilla of humility. Because when it comes to your opinion about policy, listen to me, be humble enough to understand that you could have that opinion about that policy because of the where and how you were raised and your background. And then if you were raised differently, and if you're raised in another way or another state or another place or another situation, you might have a different opinion about a particular legislative policy. So here's what, uh, you're like, okay, well, how, 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 how do I address that? How do I address, you know, I got, my, I got my opinions. All right, so, okay. Be humble enough again. Be humble enough to know that that opinion is because, of, in many ways, because of the way you were raised, if you can't draw a direct line. One of our things was have some compassion Compassion in the Bible, the word means to feel the feelings of another person. So before you sit there and pull the pin and throw the grenade on Facebook over somebody you disagree with, before you do that, I'm not saying you can't, but at least have the humility to have a little bit of compassion to say, you know what, let me kind of, you might learn something. You know what, I might learn something from a different perspective. And I know some of you guys, let me just kind of just put it all out there. You're like, dude, I'm offended by this whole sermon. I'm offended by this sermon. And you know, I'm just, I'm offended by your offense of the sermon that you're offended by, okay? So I'm offended by you. And you're like, well, I got rights. This is the United States of America. It's America. I've got my rights. I got my rights. Thank God we got rights here. We got rights in America. You got rights in America that aren't necessarily awesome. You got the right to be stupid in America, okay? You got the right to be dumb in America. You got the right to open your mouth when you should have kept it closed. You got the right to do a whole bunch of stuff in America. But what you got to understand is, if you're a disciple of Jesus, when you go to the cross, you got to lay down some of those rights, all right? You got to lay down some of those rights for the glory of God and the good of the kingdom. Now, what that means is, what's the Bible say? Paul says this, Paul says this, I have been crucified with Christ, and it is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. The life I now live, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and delivered himself up for me. All right, so Scooter, before you sit there and go, I got this right to say this, I got this right to say this, you gotta understand, all right, you laid some of those down, all right? Now, you don't have to lay them down, but just don't, just don't not lay them down and call yourself a Christ follower. Man, thank God Jesus didn't stand up for his rights when he was on the cross, right? I mean, what if Jesus on the cross and he said, I got, this isn't fair, I gotta stand up for my rights. I deserve differently, I deserve a fair trial, and I demand a fair trial. As a matter of fact, I'm gonna stand up for my rights. I'm coming down off this cross and I'm going back to heaven. See you guys, I'll see you later. Matter of fact, I won't see you later because you guys are gonna bust hell wide open. So I will not see you later. I mean, thank God, thank God he didn't do that. But that's the gospel. And so there's gonna be times When you might have an opinion, I'm not saying you're a wallflower. I'm not saying you don't do it. I'm just saying be cautious to try to draw a direct line to every one of your opinions back to God's word. If you can, be courageous. If you can, not I'm just saying be cautious. And so here's what we're gonna do. We know some things we ought to do. Here's the way we're gonna end. Um, We talked about, you know, you want to definitely participate, all right? That's gonna look differently, all right? Some of you need to get more involved, seriously. You do. You got some time, you know, you're an empty nester. Man, you need to get in your your community, all right? Again, Jeremiah says, listen, plant in the community. Get in the community. God put you here for a reason. And it wasn't just to make a living and play golf, all right? It was to be a blessing to some other people. Then we can prioritize. As a church, let the gospel reign above our politics. Let the gospel The one thing we ought to be able to agree on at church, just in this room today, just in this room today, Think about it. It's not that we're not super different. It's not that you don't have strong opinions. It's just it's subservient under the banner of the gospel, and the unity is not based on whether you're Democrat, Republican, Independent, Liberal, or Conservative, right? That's not it. The unity is based on the fact that at some point in time you understood you were broken before holy God and he rescued you with the gospel because he paid the sin debt and you've come to God. And now you're saying, Jesus is Lord, Jesus is Lord. That's the banner. You're like, that's just idealistic. Let's think it happened. It happened 2,000 years ago, okay? Think about Jesus' disciples. Jesus had two disciples that were on opposite ends of the political spectrum, okay? He He had a guy named Simon the Zealot Simon the Zealot was what he sounds like. He was zealous for his country. He was all things Israeli. He was all things Hebrew. He was all things Jewish. This is what we're about. Kick out the Romans, I hate the man, I don't like the man, the man's oppressing us. That's Simon the Zealot. On the total opposite end of the spectrum is you got Matthew the tax collector. Matthew, the tax collector, he worked for the man. He got paid by the man. He loved the man. The man paid him. The man paid his kids college. That was the man. And nowhere, though, do you see them saying, you know what? I mean, I'm sure they had some interesting fireside chats at night that we're not privy to, but what we do see is you've got two disciples of Jesus who said, following Jesus, following Jesus under the banner of the cross is, is way, way, that's who we are first and foremost, well before we're on a donkey, well before we're on an elephant, that's who we are. And we can do the same thing here. So here's the way we're going to end. We're going to pray, and I'm just going to even tweak you a little bit more. Here's who we're going to pray for, okay? All right. And you're like, Why, why'd you pick them? Why'd you? Okay, again, hold on there. Uh, um, this is federal This is state And then at the Arden campus here Since we're in Asheville We want to pray for our mayor Esther Mannheimer as well And you're like I don't, I don't want to pray for them You need to repent of that Just so you know You need to repent of that Seriously you do The Bible clearly says Regardless of the government you have Whether you agree with them or not you, They ought to be able to say God's people are going to vote me out But man they pray for me They pray for me. And so, what do you pray for? What do you pray for Tom Tillis? What do you pray for Pelosi? What do you pray, pray? okay? Again, federal, state, let's pray for our mayor. What do you pray? Here's some things we can pray and then we'll be done. Pray for them to have wisdom, all right? I mean, that's just a prayer, you can pray for anybody. But they have a huge amount of responsibility and authority. And he says you pray for them. And he actually ties your peacefulness and your blessing into our prayers. So pray, pray for them to have wisdom. God, would you give them wisdom as they make decisions? Pray for their families, pray for their marriage, pray for their kids, all right? Pray for their kids as they grow up in that bubble. You imagine growing up in any of their bubbles right there in this day and time with all the hate and vitriol? Man, pray for their kids. Pray for their relationship with God. I'm sure it's all over the board just on that one. Just pray for their relationship with God. Pray that God would convict them of sin just like we pray that God would convict us of sin. God, would you convict them of sin if they're going down the wrong way? Pray for them to have good and godly counsel right around them. Pray that God would shut the mouths of ungodly counsel that's right around them. There's tons of stuff you can pray. But again, I would say this, a lot of us, before you even bow your heads and start praying for one of these people up here, there needs to be some repentance. You need to repent of the fact that you have had deep hatred towards some of the people. And I'm serious, I'm I'm not being melodramatic. You can honestly say, I hate them. You need to repent of that. You need to repent of prayerlessness. I would actually venture to say that I bet you close to half, just in this room, I bet you half of us have spent less than five minutes over the last six months on your face before God praying for them, directly omitting a clear command of God to pray for them. And so, okay, I'm gonna stay 10 minutes away from my Instagram account. I'm gonna take 20 minutes away from my Twitter and I'm actually gonna hit my face before God and pray and say, God, would you forgive me for just looking at it through, thinking the government is sovereign, but God, you are sovereign, you're sovereign over government. Would you help me to see these people through a gospel lens? Would you help me to interact with my concentric circles with a gospel lens on the big picture? So bow your heads for a second. Your heads are bowed and your eyes are closed first thing would obviously be, you know, if if you thought salvation was in the government, I understand salvation's in God. You're here and you're like, I never understood about a, a God who loved me. I thought it was all political. I thought it was all this party and I understood it's about a person, a person named Jesus Christ who lived the life I should have lived, the perfect life. And then he died in my place and rose from the grave and I'm coming to him now, I'm gonna say Jesus is Lord, all right? Washington is not Lord, government is not Lord, Jesus is Lord. i would say this as well, if you are, if there's some repentance that's needed, just say, God help me to be a person that prays, prays for them. And then I would say, go into this, take out one or two names, they're gonna be up on the screen, and intercede by name for them for the next 60, 90 seconds. Just God, to wanna to lift up, I wanna lift up Senator Tillis right now. God, I want to lift up Vice President Pence right now. God, I want to lift up Governor Cooper right now. God, I want to lift up Mayor Manheimer right now. Would you give them godly counsel that speaks into their life? Just whatever that is. I'm gonna give you a second, and then we're gonna to pray together.